0: had a great time, as we normally do when it's someone's birthday, is my nephew's 24th, 24th birthday, which is actually next week, but we were celebrating it now. But um, inevitably, as the discussion goes this time of the year, uh, we started talking about our plans for Christmas, because we realize again that Christmas is, is upon us, isn't it? And um, it just seems to happen so quickly. And then this morning I was thinking about you know, Christmas is is right here, we've got two months to go. But um, how the last two years have gone? Um, It seemed like the other day that we were just the end of 2019. And going into this horrible period of, of COVID, 2020. And everyone was just saying, if only life could get back to normal again. Remember that? We just want our lives back. Just give us our lives back. And I guess that's what we've got now, I guess. Our lives are back again. But we're already now, 2023, can you believe it? So, I mean, that was 19... 20, 21, 22, wow, look at that. And the years just go, isn't it? They just, they just tick over. And, um, and the question that comes up you know, in my mind is, what has happened in, in my life? Have I grown in my life? Have I achieved something in those previous years? What, what has really happened? I sit down and and make a few notes about uh, the things that have transpired in those last few years and how have I grown how have we grown in our marriage as a family and so forth and so that's just to get us thinking about this morning about the the topic of the morning and um, it does tie in with what we've been doing, in, in what we've been studying in Philippians. Um, but it's a bit more in depth on one of the, 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 the topics that I'd like to just speak about. And if we look at Philippians 3, um, as we've been reading in Philippians, uh, and Paul saying in verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings. That I may know him. And Joe has been, has been preaching faithfully on, on these topics. Um, but today we're going to speak a little bit about knowing God. I'd like to speak a little bit about knowing God. Now, for those of us who were here, beginning of September, when I last, um, last preached, you'll remember I spoke about the atonement of Christ. Uh, we were just speaking a little bit about that. So, and, and we just started speaking about the atonement. We spoke about where man is and where God is and that they were not reconcilable. God's holiness and man's sinfulness were not reconcilable. So we will pick that thread up again um, in weeks to come. But today, tied into that thing of atonement, that topic of atonement, I'd like to just speak about, a little bit about knowing God. And I'm going to share with you um, a quote, and I know it's, it's fairly lengthy, so you need to just bear with me on this. But it does just set a tone for this this uh, topic of of knowing God. And this is a quote from, from Spurgeon. Um, I'm not sure how many of you will know about Spurgeon, but they say Spurgeon was the the prince of of preachers, not peaches, preachers, (laughs) because he spoke so well and he had such a a depth of relationship and understanding of uh, theology and scripture. And to think that he gave this as an introduction to his, his sermon on this topic many years ago, I'll share the date with you just now. But this is what he said, he said, it has been said by someone that the proper study of mankind is man. In other words, if you want to study man, look at a man. I will not oppose the idea, but I believe it is equally true that the proper study of God's elect is God. You want to study God's people? Study God. The proper study of a Christian is the Godhead. And in this is this little paragraph, the highest science, the loftiest speculation, The mightiest philosophy which can ever engage the attention of a child of God is the name, the nature, the person, the work, the doings, and the existence of the great God whom he calls Father. Then he goes on, he says, There's something exceedingly improving to the mind in a contemplation of the divinity. It is a subject so vast that all our thoughts are lost in its immensity, so deep that our pride is drowned in its infinity. Other subjects we can encompass and grapple with in which we feel a kind of self-content and go away with with a thought, behold, I'm wise. But when we come to this master science, the study of God, we find that our plumb line cannot sound its depth, and our eagle eye cannot see its height. We turn away with the thought that vain man would be wise, but he is like a wild ass's colt. And with solemn exclamation, I am but of yesterday and I know nothing. No subject of contemplation will tend more to humble the mind than thoughts of God. But while the subject humbles the mind, It also expands the mind. He who often thinks of God will have a larger mind than the man who simply plods around this narrow globe. The most excellent study for expanding the soul is the science of Christ and Him crucified and the knowledge of the Godhead in the glorious Trinity. Nothing will so enlarge the intellect, nothing so magnify the whole soul of man as a devout, earnest, continued investigation of the great subject of the deity and then this last (coughs) paragraph is so comforting and whilst humbling and expanding so he said it it humbles us it expands our minds when we study God but he says the subject is eminently consolatory oh there's in contemplating Christ a balm for every wound in musing on the father there's a quietest for every grief and in the influence of the Holy Ghost there's a balmsome for every sore Then he says would you lose your sorrow would you drown your cares then go plunge yourself in the God's deepest sea be lost in his immensity and you shall come forth as from a couch of rest refreshed and invigorated I know nothing that can so comfort the soul so calm the swelling billows of sorrow and grief. So speak peace to the winds of a trial as a devout musing upon the subject of the Godhead. It is so that subject it is to that subject I invite you this morning. And that's what, what his words were when he opened his his sermon. But just to recap that that one paragraph at the beginning, the highest science, the loftiest speculation. The mightiest philosophy which can ever engage the attention of a child of God is the name, the nature, the person, the work, the doings and the existence of the great God whom he calls his Father. So that's just something for us to think of. And by the way, that was in 1855 that he he preached that sermon. He was 20 years old when he preached the sermon that followed on from that um, statement so there's a few questions that arise when we contemplate this topic of knowing God the one is can I know God To what extent can I know God? Is it it unlimited if I can know God? And how do I know God? How do I get to know God? Those are just some of the questions that we would ask um, on this topic of, of knowing God. And... What happens if we don't know God? What happens if we have no desire to know God? What happens if mankind has no desire to know God? In Hosea 4 verse 1, and I'm going to quote a few scriptures. So if you're taking notes, you're welcome to just dot down the scriptures. But if you're going to try and find them, it's going to be quite, quite hectic for you. If you're going to be looking them up. But that's fine. Whatever's, whatever you're comfortable with. Hosea 4 verse 1. It said of Israel before they went into exile. So this was, they were now in the promised land, but they had fallen far short. They were idol worshiping. They were living in sin. They were um, not honoring God. It says, there is no faithfulness or steadfast love. Speaking of their condition. And no knowledge of God in the land. So what is there? There is swearing, lying, murder, stealing, committing adultery. (laughs) Just think about how this may relate to us today. They break all bounds, all laws and all morals are broken. And bloodshed follows bloodshed. So this is a condition of them before they go into exile. There is no faithfulness or steadfast love. No knowledge of God in the land. And then there's all these things, swearing, lying, murder, stealing. Um, and that's describing the state of Israel when there's no no knowledge of God in the land. I'm not sure if you've heard of, of a, of a, of a um, philosophy of God called deism. But deism has been and remains a popular notion of God. That's D-E-I-S-M. And the idea of deism is that God created everything, and then he left, he left the world. He just left the world to carry on um, to its own endeavors. So he said, yeah, I've created you all, this is the world, there's man, um, and kind of now I'm just going to sit back, stand back, and you carry on with it. There is an element in Deism that, that maybe God would intervene at, at some stage, or that he does intervene at some odd occasions in the history of, of the world. But largely speaking, he's just a hands-off um, uh, of, of God. He's just a hands-off God. So that's a, a view of deism. Then we also have the view of, of Islam and of Judaism to some extent, where they attach a practical element to knowing god so the deism thinks well you can't really know god he's out there somewhere the Deist, but in islam and judaism there's a practical element in other words you've got to work this out you've got to do certain things when you do those things and if you do them well um you will in a certain extent get to first you'll get to appease god you'll, you'll will satisfy his demands upon you. And secondly, you will in some extent get to know him a bit better by doing these things because you're partaking in his, his, his commands that he's is, that is put upon you. But the emphasis there is more on getting to know about God. It's not an intimate uh, aspect. You can never be intimate with God in those faiths. It's more about getting to know about God, getting to know what His requirements are, how He acts if you obey Him, and so so forth. So the question is, is, is God, as per deism, is God like that? Is God really like that? Did He do that? Imagine if He had done that. Imagine if He had just stood back and said, um, let's watch how this whole thing works out now. And, and not intervene in, in any way. And there was no spirit of God upon the earth. There was no, um, uh, no presence of God on the earth. Um, I don't think we would be sitting here today, do you? Because imagine, you know that time when he said, every thought of man is continually evil. And during the times of Noah... Man was sinful, what would have been the logical outcome of that sinfulness on creation and on mankind? Um, so thank the Lord that he did not um, adopt that approach. So even for the world around us the the world that that we know this 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 world that is sinful and is lying and stealing and doing all these things. Um, in Romans 1 verse 19 it tells us it tells us that even that world it tells us that even that world has a perception of God. Um, and I'm reminded of uh, the, the illustration of um, And and I hope I've got my facts right yet. Maybe a historian, maybe Jamie can correct me. But I'm reminded of, um, they spoke about the Nuremberg Trials. And that was after the Second World War. When they came and uh, and these um, concentration masters and officials who had done all these atrocities were now brought before um, judges to determine if they were guilty or not. And their their debate was, no, we we were not guilty. We were simply obeying the laws of the country in which we found ourselves. We were obedient to the laws and the structures um, above us. And we were just humble servants of the system. Um, And what's interesting about it is the defense, um, and it was some famous lawyer or something, would not accept that argument and the only way he could debate that and negate that argument was saying that no matter where you find yourself in the world no matter under which regime you find yourself there is a higher sense of right and wrong to to which we ascribe and that's universal and the reason why i mention that is because it ties in with this romans 1 verse 19 he says it says what What can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So why do we know about God? In In that scripture, there's an answer to that question. Why do we know about God? We only know about God because God has shown it to them. God has revealed it to us. He has revealed himself to us. And that is the only reason why we know about God. God could have easily done, done what we said earlier. He could have just left creation, created and said, Great, let's now spectate. Let's, um, let's do a big brother on the world. And let's sit back and see, okay, this is an interesting experiment. How is this all going to work out? Um, And God may well have done that, but He didn't. And He chose to reveal Himself to, to, uh, to the world. Which brings us on to the different levels of knowing God. So, It's one thing to know of God. It's another thing to believe in the truth of God. And even in the Bible, it it refers to different levels of knowing. So, Jacob was instructed to go to Abraham, to his homeland, to Abraham's homeland, to look for a wife. He arrives at a well, and he asks the shepherds if they know of his uncle Laban. Now, that's the sense that we all, do you know so-and-so? Do you know of? And that's mentioned in the Bible. That that knowing is is mentioned. It's a common sense of knowing. But it's very superficial. Are you acquainted with? Do you know of? And of course they replied to him, Yes, we do know your uncle. And then there's another level. It says that Adam knew Eve. Adam knew Eve and she became pregnant. It speaks also of that in um, um, when Samuel was born. That um, his father and mother knew each other and then he was he was born so that's a different level of knowing it's it's intimate and the same with us as a Christian so remember we spoke about how the world knows of God God has revealed it to them in Romans but as a Christian there's a whole different level of knowing God and Jesus says in Matthew 11 verse 27 Matthew 11 verse 27 he says no one knows the son except the father and no one knows the father except the son and anyone to whom the son chooses to to reveal himself so this is a different level and this is a level which you and I can experience as a Christian but as soon as we speak about this level certain people are excluded. There are certain people who cannot know God on this level, and if we look at, and it's not obtainable through human human effort or wisdom. So it's not by our acts that we do the things, the functions that we do, the commands that we obey. Although there is an aspect like that, but it's not through that that we come to this deeper level. And certain people are not open to this. In 1 Corinthians 1 verse 20, uh, Paul says, Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Where are all these intelligent people? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. So you can go and study... You can do courses. And a lot of people even go and study theology. They go to university and study theology. But they don't have this level of knowing that we're talking about this morning. They don't know God. They don't have this intimate relationship. Um, And when it speaks about the wisdom of the world not knowing God... It's funny how the world almost goes to the other extreme. They will use all the means at their disposal not to even acknowledge God, never mind to know God. And that's why um, that's why the, there was such fertile ground for for things like um, a, a, a theory of of, of evolution um, when it came about, because the world really wanted a clear Something that they could grasp and understand and explain um, to eliminate God from, 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 their, from their world and from their, their theory. And today the function is not to speak about evolution because evolution does have elements that we can learn from. But the concept of taking God totally out um, of the whole equation um, is, is, is the poison of evolution. That's the poison of evolution. And it's widely accepted today, as we know, in academia. <clears throat> in 1 Corinthians 2 verse 14, so let's just see we read now 1 Corinthians 1 verse 20. So now we go to 1 Corinthians 2 verse 14. It says the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. For they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them. He is not able to understand them. In verse seven of of the same chapter of Corinthians, Paul says to the Corinthians, "We impart a secret wisdom to the spiritually mature." So, how do you have to be to be able to understand these things? You need to be spiritually mature. A secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. Isn't that wonderful, There, Before the ages, God established this wisdom, this knowledge, for us to to discover later on in time. Um, A secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understands this. For if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. They would not have crucified Christ if they understood this this plan. These things God... Okay, now, how do we learn about these things? These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him. So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. So what's he saying here? He's saying these things, these secret things, these knowledge, these deep things, God is revealed through his spirit. The spirit searches everything, even the deep things of God. And then no one comprehends the thoughts of god except the spirit of god so it's god's spirit god's holy spirit that is the conduit through which these um knowledges and these nuggets are are transferred to to us he then goes on to say that this wisdom from god is is taught by them by the apostles in words taught by the Holy Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. So what's the means? The means is the apostles were preaching in the power of the Holy Spirit, and there was a receptive audience who themselves were spiritual and spiritually alive, and these this knowledge was then transferred. The working of the spirit is is this mystery of, of how this knowledge is is transferred in john 16 verse 13 jesus says john 16 verse 13 jesus says when the spirit of truth comes he will guide you into all the truth he will not speak on his own authority but whatever he has he will speak and he will declare it to you the things that are to come he will glorify me for he will take from what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Now if you follow that you'll see there's a there's a whole structure and a whole plan here. So God the Father, Jesus the Son, and then the Holy Spirit. And how the Holy Spirit works between them to take that knowledge um, and and bring it to to, to us declare it to us so we've seen that God wants to impart his knowledge He wants to make himself known to us we've seen that the world has an understanding of God but it's, it's very vague and they, and, they, and they don't want a full understanding either we've seen that as, as, scripture, as Christians we have a special understanding of God and it's through God's Holy Spirit that we have this understanding so the, the next question is can we fully understand God we've seen how this works the question is can we fully understand God can we fully understand God something to think about And I'll quote a few scriptures on that. So Psalm 145 verse 3 says, Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised. His greatness is unsearchable. His greatness is unsearchable. Psalm 147 verse 5 says, His understanding is beyond measure. Deuteronomy 29, verse 29 says, The secret things belong to the Lord our God. So yes, we can know some things, but remember we're finite. We're God's creation. He's the creator. Um, but we're finite and He's infinite, infinite. And so we will never fully understand. But isn't that so wonderful actually? Um, Because it means we've never mastered this thing. You know, if if you've ever got a new something, a puzzle or a game or something, and when you get it, it's such a challenge. And you're in there that's a deep end. You're striving with this thing. uh, It's a battle. um, But even running a race, for that matter. You know, when when you're in that thing, it's difficult, it's hard. You want to stop... But as soon as you get to the end, or you finish that, or you finished all your levels, as Nathan would explain to me, then that's it. That thing has got hardly any interest to you anymore, that that item or that game or whatever it is. But we know, as we've spoken this morning, and as um, Spurgeon was saying, we'll never plumb the depths. We'll never know those deep things entirely um, and that's what's so wonderful about our God you know, we will never master him we will never be able to say we've got you all worked out and be careful when we do that be careful when we think that um, Just, I was just thinking this week about an aspect of God that we so often get wrong and I hope I'm not going off on a tangent I'll come back to my notes now but this uh, this aspect of the wrath of God we don't like to discuss it. We don't like to take it. We don't like to accept it. And we don't like to talk about it to outsiders because we're going to scare them away. But you know, the Bible speaks just as much about God's love and mercy and grace as it does about God's wrath and judgment, come in judgment. And so if you want a true knowledge of God, you have to be able to accept these different facets of God. Because if God is truly holy, if God is truly holy and truly righteous and justice and acts in justice, He has to be angry at sin. He cannot be casual about sin. Otherwise, He would not be truly holy. And because of that, because of that, God is wrathful towards sin, because God is ultimately completely holy. And it's to be expected that he would be like that. So that was just this thing about, do we really understand? And unfortunately, a lot of Christians have this thing. You know, they think they've worked out God. And they come to a situation. For example, a a controversial topic at the moment is what's happening in Israel. And I'm not going to go into all the sides of that. But they'll say, god would work in this way or he would work in that way um you know uh but is that really is that is that the gospel according to wesley or according to joe or whatever or is that really god have i really studied his word do i really understand what how how god would act do i really know him do i understand him and that's the challenge this morning um and often those opinions that are out there about God are just duplicate society, you know. Um, yes, God is loving. Yes, He is gentle. Yes, he, he, he is forgiving. That is true. But have we got a full counsel of God? Have we seen the full counsel of God? And do we talk about the full counsel of God? Um, The next question is should we then be seeking to grow in our knowledge of God and we've we going towards the end now there's a few scriptures so should we be seeking to grow in our knowledge of God based on what we've discussed today the writer of Hebrews the book of Hebrews says when speaking about the new covenant. And I haven't written down the reference here. I'll have to let you know. They shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother saying, Know the Lord. So in the new covenant times, after Christ, in other words. They shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother saying, Know the Lord. You know, instructing each other. Know the Lord, know the Lord. For they shall all know me from the least of them. the greatest. He's saying there will be a time amongst the faithful in the new covenant times when people will know the Lord well. And you won't have to chide each other and instruct each other, but you will just have a knowledge, a better knowledge of the Lord. And then Jesus said in John 17 verse 3, this is eternal life that they know you the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. This is eternal life. And whenever the Gospel Bible is speaking about eternal life in this, con- in this um, concept of eternal life, it's speaking about eternal life with God the Father as, as, a, as His child. This is eternal life that you may know, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent we need to know him and in Jeremiah 9 verse 23 let not the wise man boast in his wisdom let not the mighty man boast in his might let not the rich man boast in his riches so don't boast in wisdom in might strength Or in riches. But let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands, and this is God speaking, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, yes, justice and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. Let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me that i am the lord who practices steadfast love justice and righteousness in the earth for in these things i delight declares the lord and as i as i draw this um to a close I'd like to just share two examples from Daniel that we know well, I think. The one is Daniel's brothers, uh, not his brothers, his his, uh, friends, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And how they knew their God, they understood their God, and how it influences their actions. Because this is the thing. If you have this understanding of God, if you're close to God, if you're growing in your relationship with God, it will have an outworking in your life. It will show in your actions. And um, so, so yeah, they are. They haven't bowed down to the king, to the to the idol. Um, and. King Nebuchadnezzar got, got very angry, extremely angry. Um, but he says to them, He says, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abagnego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I've set up? Now, if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music to fall down. And worship the image that i've made well and good he's so he's so gracious isn't he he saying i'm giving you another chance i'm giving you i'm so kind to you i'm going to give you another chance when you hear the music just fall down and and worship well and good everything's going to be fine but if you do not worship you shall immediately be cast into a burning fiery furnace and who is the god who will deliver you who is the god who will deliver you out of my hands. And this is what they said to him. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the the king, this is Daniel 3 verse 16. O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. We don't need to go and debate and think about this. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O King. But if not, be it known to you, O King, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. And it would seem, if you read the story, it would seem that it was only the three of them of all the Israelites who refused to, to bow down. Did you think of that? Because it seemed like they were the three that were the problem and, and no one else. But they knew their God. They knew their God and they were prepared to act on it. And then as we, as we finish off one more, one more take out from Daniel... And you need to just understand a bit of the background of this. So Daniel, you know, there's a lot of prophecy in Daniel. And about 300 years after Daniel was written, after the book of Daniel was written, um, Alexander the Great came to, to, to power. And he just swept across the known world, conquering nations and peoples in such a short time, and uh, Daniel, it speaks about the goat with with the horn, that will just come and destroy, and 300 years after, Daniel wrote about it, Alexander the Great came, and he did that, he did exactly that, and then, and he went right across, and then he went to India, and eventually his troops said, no, this is it, we've had it, (laughs) and he had to stop his, his exploits and then he, he died mysteriously um, at a young age uh, of, of poison or fever or something and um, and then after him there came other the, the kingdom was all broken up between other other um, uh, rulers and um, the Seleucids, I think that's how I don't know how to pronounce it, took over the Syria part and um, the Middle East and Jerusalem and all of that—they were the rulers there. And this guy Antiochus the Fourth came to power, and he and he actually desecrated the temple. And that's also was predicted in Daniel that this 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 man would come and desecrate the temple, and he offered pigs on there. So he was, he was trying to promote the Greek culture. Um, he was a Hellenist. He was promoting the Greek culture. And the Jews stood against this, especially the, the Jews who ran the temple in Jerusalem. And they would not accept this. So he, he forcefully came in and he desecrated the temple. And he set up a, a statue to Zeus in the temple uh, vicinity, right there by the temple. Um, and why, why do we tell that story? Well, it's, it's all explained. A lot of it is explained to Daniel. More than 300 years before, before it happened. So that is already uh, wonderful, the prophecies of Daniel. And by the way, there's still stuff that's going to happen from Daniel. We know that. Um, but the point is, how does it tie in about knowing God? So in, um, in Daniel 11, uh, verse 32. So what happened? there were these Maccabeans that rose up against this whole um, desecration and they restored the temple and um, they restored the temple and it says here the people who know their God this is talking about that time the people who know their God will stand this was a prophecy about what's going to happen will stand firm and will take action The people who know their God will stand firm and will take action and verse 33 says this is Daniel 11 says the wise among the people shall make many others understand so not only do they stand firm do not only do they take action those who know their God some version says they will do exploits they will do exploits but the wise among the people will make many understand as well. And, um, and so the temple was rededicated. The Maccabeans, they rededicated the temple. And that's Hanukkah. They, that, that is still celebrated today. And in fact, um, in, in, in the Gospel of John, it speaks about Jesus being present, being present at the temple during this Feast of Dedication, because every year then it was, it, was, it was celebrated. So Jesus was even present at the temple during one of these um, celebrations of dedication. So to close with, I'm going to close with one, one final verse, and that's James 4 verse 8. And it's simple. James 4 verse 8 is a simple verse. It simply says draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Amen. It's close. It's close. O oh Lord and Heavenly Father, Lord this This morning we are truly humbled, as uh, Spurgeon said, Lord. We're humbled when we just consider your greatness. We consider that each one of us has an opportunity to draw near to you. And we don't understand this, Lord. We don't understand how come and why you've been so gracious Why you've designed us like this, Lord, that we can draw near to you, that we can know more of you. But Lord, this morning, may that be our heart's desire. May we put away worthless things or lesser things, Lord, as we desire to know more of you, as we have a hunger to go deeper, to know those deep things, Lord, that you would want to teach us through your Spirit may we revaluate our values and the things which keep us busy and take our time lord may we realize lord afresh that your holy spirit is within us and available to us to learn more of you lord to take your things and impart them to us would you help us to learn that this morning Thank you, Lord, that you are so great and so deep and so wide and so omniscient in your your presence and your knowledge that we can never master you. But thank you, Lord, that despite that, you call us, you call us to know more and to be deeper and to grow in our relationship. Thank you for that. Thank you for the preaching that comes every, morning, every Sunday morning from this, this church, from this pulpit. Thank you for that, Lord. Thank you for your word that you've given us that, that we can read for ourselves in our own language and understand what you say about yourself. Thank you for your word. Lord, this morning, may your Holy Spirit go with us. Be with us, Lord. May we leave here refreshed and encouraged to know more of you, to learn more of you. Thank you, Lord. We thank you for this time, this hour or more that we've spent just looking at your word. Thank you for that. Thank you for the privilege of doing that this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen.